Yeah, a lot of guys got used to just, you know, parking in a spot and just kind of doing laps in it, saying, thinking they were going to, you know, keep coming through. And and I don't think that you can't do that with these lower numbers of fish. So you need to cover as much different water, you know, and keep moving as, you know, it's hunting. <laughs> we, we go through a run, we're like, whoop, not there, let's go. That was Brian Sylvie with a nice tip this year if the numbers aren't quite where you'd like them. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show today. Brian Sylvie is on uh, to shed some light on his 35-year career guiding for trout and steelhead in the Pacific Northwest. Brian describes how it all got started, including the story of when he was a kid riding back from the Steelhead uh, River with uh, two steelhead hanging off his BMX bike on the side of Highway 26. Uh, plenty of uh, funny looks and a good story there, so uh, looking forward to that, uh, sharing that with you today. And uh, plenty of good tips as well on steelhead fishing and a little on trout. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Since 1977, the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal has long been considered the Angler's Magazine, with original how-tos and technical articles written by the best trout and steelhead anglers in the West. They are committed to sharing exceptionally written essays, fiction, poetry, and in-depth guides to fly tying and fly fishing. FTJ is one of my go-to magazines, and if you haven't checked it out recently, you can get started today by calling 1-800-541-9498 or heading over to the web at ftjangler.com. Gotfishing.com is your trusted source of information with access to the world's best fishing trips. You'll never pay a dime extra for the trip you book, and in many cases, less than advertised. Find out where Got Fishing could take you by heading over to gotfishing.com today. That's gotfishing.com, or reach them by phone at 208-630-3373. Gotfishing.com, the easiest place to start your next fishing adventure. So if you're excited to uh, chase a little chrome this year, I've got Brian Sylvie from sylviesflyfishing.com. How's it going, Brian? Oh, I'm doing great. Great to, great to have you on here. Um, I sent out a message in the Facebook group and asked them, you know, mentioned you were coming on and a few people uh, replied and had some questions about the, uh, the Silvernator and some other things. We're going to dig into some steelhead um, and some of the stuff you do with your guiding business. But before we get there, can you talk about how you first got into fly fishing and how you brought it all into a uh, business there? Sure. Um, well, I grew up on Mount Hood, uh, basically in Welch's. Uh, kind of grew up fishing the Salmon River and Zigzag and the Sandy and you know, as a kid, you're out there dunking worms and, you know, fishing, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's funny, in those days, in the late 70s, early 80s, you would hook steelhead a lot with not very good tackle, and um, <laughs> it would never work out. So, you know, as a kid, you're like, man, I got to catch one of these things. And, you know, I think I finally did get one on a spinner rod, but I saw some guys that were fly fishing, and I was like, man, I want to do that. And um, this older gentleman... It was a friend of my dad's gave me a whole bunch of fly time stuff, which if I look back at it now, it was just a bunch of crappy furry stuff that, you know, had like mob balls in it. But as a kid, it was a bunch of hooks and, you know, stuff you could just wrap stuff on, on hooks and try to go catch, you know, catch a fish. I actually tied like a, I think it was like a woolly bugger or a woolly worm or something like that. And, and, uh, had my Berkeley fiberglass fly rod and, you know, would go out there. I lived right on the salmon river, real close to it, so I fish it every single day, and um, I think that's where I kind of got my first steelhead, and uh, I was kind of hooked hooked from there. Were you near uh, Welch's, or where was your? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I lived around, you know, Welch's, so I was kind of in between like uh, Camp Arowana, which is Arowana Boulevard or Wildwood Park, kind of yeah. right in between those two. I would hike that pretty much daily so, from, so, right. from one end to the other. <laughs> so near the uh, what, the Fly Fishing Only Bridge, right, is up above your... Uh, well, the Fly Fishing Only Bridge is up towards Green Canyon Campgrounds. Yeah. But I would fish, I would ride my bike up there, and you know, like any kid would do. And yeah. Um, yeah. I have a funny story about that is that it seemed like when I rode my bike, I'd always catch a steelhead or, or two. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be riding back on Highway 26 with... 
a steelhead or two on my handlebars and I would get the funniest look. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have people stop me like, Hey kid, where'd you catch those fish? Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Wow. I'd be like, Oh, down at the river. I wouldn't tell them anything. That's awesome. <laughs> right. You ride your, your BMX bike. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, you don't probably don't see that anymore. No, you don't. That, that is really cool. Do you remember a place called the, uh, I think it was called the Slaughter Hole out on the, I'm not sure if it was on the Salmon. That's on the Sandy. Oh, yeah. that was on the Sandy, yeah. Do you, do yeah, you... the other one was like, um, I don't know, the, the, there was down at the Rock Quarry was kind of where a lot of people went down to Miller Road on the Salmon River where they all staged up. There would always be like, you know, a couple hundred steel in there you could never catch. They were just all staging up in that pool. But uh, now those were inter- interesting times with all those hatchery fish. I remember my dad talking about some of those. I never really got into that that area that much, but I remember him talking about that and and Jim Teeny too. I think they would go out there and maybe yeah. you know do some right <laughs> whatever do some fishing out there. Okay, so so cool. So that's that's where you're as a kid. Then how do you bring that into you know, becoming a, a guide. How does that all happen? Well, I started tying flies enough and kind of was selling them to the, some of the local stores. And then, uh, I knew Mark Bachman from, uh, his son's going to school with him. And, you know, he opened the fly fishing shop there in Welch's and then kind of went through the school of hard knocks on how to tie commercially <laughs> and, uh, you know, started tying flies. And then, from the flies, you know, you'd have to almost chain me to a table because, you know, you'd have to tie so many flies, you know, 900 to 1,200 dozen or so a summer. And after a while, you want to you want to go fish. So we'd fish a lot, and, and those guys got busy doing the Deschutes, so they kind of gave us the, the walking trips on the Salmon River and Zigzag. And so we did these, like, four-hour walking trips. You know, we were just right, you know, like junior, senior in high school or, you know, just out of high school and, um, do that in the summer. And then I did that for a while. And then, um, I was also going to college, but, uh, then started my, uh, my own business in 1989. Oh, in 89. Okay. Yeah. 89. Right on. So back in those early times when you're doing the walk-in trips, did you have any, any guidance or were you just kind of out there just kind of taking people up? You knew where the fish were at and just kind of, yeah, they, they would, I mean, you know, they knew we were kids kind of, you know, to some degree, but they, they kind of hired us to just show them around or just, to me, it wasn't as much guiding as it is now. Like what I feel like I do now is more like a spotting fish, <laughs> you know, and then kind of like try to help them. But, you know, and then I would hike around and maybe try to find some more fish. And yeah, it was more just using us to learn a, a section of river. And, uh, you know, we were kind of the spotters and That's maybe cool. a helper. I, I don't really consider that yep. kind of guiding like what I think I might be able to do now. <laughs> right, right, right. Cool. Cool. Maybe if we have time, we'll get into a little bit on spotting fish. Um, I did want to uh, kind of turn the table a little bit and talk about the uh, the John Day just for a second because I I um, that's kind of been an interest to me. We were just talking off there there a little bit. It sounds like it's getting a little busier and things like that. But could you take us there? I know you're just on the river. Could you take us there and talk about uh, the John Day and and were you fishing for? I mean, was this a, a bass trip? Yeah, this was a bass trip, and I was helping out Marty and Mia Shepherd. Um, I'll help them off and on and Marty Shepard helps me. And, um, I call it, I call it guide vacation. Um, so I, I'm the gov. So I, I just show up and kind of row a boat and it's kind of nice to just do a different river and kind of take a break from uh, your normal program. And, um, yeah, the last few years, I mean, partly it's, it's water flows, um, on the John day. Um, a lot of years the river gets, starts getting low and, and not as many people have floated, but the last two years we've had, a fair amount of water, um, you know, kind of late season. It rained this whole trip we were just on. And oh, wow. so there's plenty of flows. And so there's, there's lots of people out there using the John Day now. I mean, it's a great river and it's a great kids river. Mm-hmm. Um, the trip we did was uh, a couple families with some kids, you know, I had two six year old twin boys that, uh, were just a riot, you know, and, and had a ball catching those bass. So it's just a great kid friendly family river. Um, you know, that's not real big and scary, kind of like the Deschutes. That's cool. Are you are you guys out there? Is this all a, a fly trip or is this spin or what are you guys doing? Uh, we pretty much will do flies. I mean, sometimes kids might want to, you know, it's easier to do a spin. But, you know, they can drag a fly out of the boat and, and catch most fish, you know. But you try to teach them a little bit how to cast. And uh, um, one of the twin, well, actually both the twin boys caught pretty good-sized bass 
Um, there's a funny story. There's one, one of the twins I had, his name was Dylan. Uh, his dad was helping him out of cast, and, and we came in this little cove, and there was a big bass in there, and the, he threw it in there perfectly. The fish ate it, but he wasn't able to kind of set the hook on it. <laughs> And then the dad was trying to help, and, and then we got wrapped up in the bushes. And then I had to float over there, undo it. We floated back out. That bass was still in the vicinity. So the dad threw it in there, and uh, we hooked this bass. I don't know how big it was, but it was probably at least three, four pounds. I mean, that's a big, big smallmouth for that river. And uh, we were able to, Dylan kind of helped fight it and landed, and he was so excited. So that's really fun as a guide after this long watching kids you know fight fish and just giggling and yelling <laughs> it's a whopper you know <laughs> right right what, what were you guys are you guys like using woolly buggers and stuff like that yeah yeah um the water started coloring up with all the rain um but uh like a couple of days we were able to use poppers and and kind of some dragonfly type patterns but a lot of woolly buggers with the kids basically um, you can kind of drag that along. We'll kind of maneuver the boat perfectly for them and just kind of sometimes accelerate or <laughs> decelerate the oh, fly right. for them. <laughs> gotcha. Are you, are you guys doing just a, um, like, uh, dry lines with, with split shot? Or are you doing a sinking line? No, no. It's just, it's just a, uh, like a beadhead woolly bugger is probably the best. Cause it's kind of sinks a little, but it doesn't get in the big boulders. But if you let it sink a little, it'll, it'll get down where you want it, but not, not get hung up too much. I've tied some heavier stuff to kind of get down off those deep walls, but it's too hard for most people to kind of deal with. And sink tips are, you'll have some guys that are maybe a little bit better anglers might uh, fish that kind of stuff, yeah. but we're just fishing those little edges and, you know, little grassy banks with some rocks and right. that kind of so, stuff. So this so. is not uh, not rocket science. This is pretty easy to find and yeah. hook into fish. Yeah, it's it's I call it it's not a it's not a fishing trip it's a catching trip. <laughs> there, what's a typical a trip down there? Um well this one is you know since the weather was pretty cold and rainy I mean you know you're probably only getting maybe 20 30 fish which is kind of slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know per person kind of thing where the you know you go on like when the water warms up quite a bit and it drops down to 4 or 500 CFS instead of being about 2500 I mean, it's a 50 to 100 fish a day kind of kind of deal. But, I mean, they're all different sizes. You know, sometimes they're a bunch of little guys, and then you might get some 8, 10-inchers, and then, you know, you might get some that are 12 to 15, and then who knows, you might hook one that's 18, 22, you know. So it's like I said, it's more of a numbers thing, and, and a lot of times poppers and foam bugs, and, you know, it's kind of fun to watch those bass smash the that is awesome. The top water. <laughs> so. what, what would be a good uh, phone, or what do you use there? Um, well, I used to have a fly called a dragon popper that was kind of an in-between a damsel and a dragon that kind of had a little popper head that uh-huh. Umqua Feather Merchants used to tie. And there's still a few shops that have that. Yeah. Because the big hatch on the John Day is uh, later in the season, you'll get dragonflies and, and damsels, and the bass will jump in the riffles. Like, it's the craziest thing oh, wow. you'll ever see. So that's not on right now. That's a little bit like what is no, that? No, it's too cold. Right, it's just it's like temperature, just like a salmon fly hatch. Gotcha. It's a water temperature thing, and it's it's still a little cold for it. But uh, but any popper, I mean, little frog pattern. But you don't want to use too small a one. I'll tell you that because um, they'll inhale that thing. So like a medium sized largemouth popper. <laughs> so that way they don't suck it in too far because it, it'll be nothing but a nightmare trying to get it out of them without killing them. So. What's the, you know, take us to the river. What's the river? Is it like an easy float, pretty flat? Are there any, uh, you know, any tricky spots? There is a couple tricky spots, and most floats are very easy. I mean, um, you got Burnt Ranch Rapids, uh, which um, at certain flows, we, we went through that kind of area, and uh, it it was pretty easy. But when it gets lower, that gets harder. And then Carno Rapids, um, there's certain flows you can't really even make it through there. The rest of the river is really really easy especially the lower river yeah you know they got that down at cottonwood they have that big state park yeah and um that's being used a lot and and that whole area is you can there's walking and wading and oh right you know trails you can i watch people walk way down there sometimes so um very friendly usable river gotcha if you 
if you didn't have a boat, that new Cottonwood area is a pretty good area to go if you could for access. Oh, sure. That's probably your easiest, probably the best. Yeah, gotcha. no doubt. Okay, cool. And and you guys took, uh, do you do the drift boats down through the, that section? Uh, yeah, at this flow, you can use a drift boat. Yeah, if, um, if you're a decent enough oarsman, not hitting too many rocks. But, you know, a raft is probably more feasible for most people, um, especially when it gets lower. Gotcha. Okay, so. cool. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted to get a taste of that. I had uh, Mia and Marty, they were on, I think it was episode 76 a while back. And we talked a little bit about the John Day, talked a little bit about, uh, you know, a little bit of this and that, but it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned the river's busier. I, I wonder, you know, doing this podcast, because this is going to go out, you know, to thousands, you don't know how many thousands of people will see this, you know, in the long term, but, you know, people are going to hear this, right? And they're going to be like, oh, the John Day. And I, I wonder how much influence I had since that, you know, two years ago when I interviewed me and Marty, but what's your take on that? Because you're a guide as well, right? You're getting people out to these areas, you know, with the pressure I, right. I think right now is the way the world is. I think people just want to get away. I mean, I don't blame them. Um, so the Deschutes has been on the weekends have been kind of busy, you know, it's just people camping and, and floating and fishing too. And, and I think that's another thing. I mean, what a great way to escape with your family, yeah. um, kind of on any river right now, just kind of <laughs> decompress and not watch the news really. So, uh, that's that's kind of a nice thing and i think a lot of people are, are taking advantage of that would be my guess too yeah. so um yeah i mean a lot of our rivers are are being overused sometimes but you know it's good and bad i, I hope people respect the rivers that you know they're out there floating either the chutes or the sandy or you know or the john day and and that way you know when we need people to fight for them hopefully they'll fight with us <laughs> is the way i look at it you know when the, when, when there's problems, hopefully they'll they'll be the ones to step up and say, "Hey, yeah, we need to do something about this." So that's right. So when you see all those people, lots of more people on the river, you don't feel like, "Oh, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of contributing to this over maybe over pressured rivers." You just feel like it's probably going to be a good thing in the long term. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't like it as a guide at times, but you all need to get along, and and you're all trying to do the same thing. None of us own it. I mean, is what I, I'm a guide, but I don't own this river. Like, you know, if you're if you're in a spot, I'm going somewhere else. But give me some space too. <laughs> you know, don't don't come in where I'm at. You know, I'm trying to do my job, but uh, no, we I I always try to get along with the public and be super friendly and helpful in any way I can if they don't know where they're going or where they want to camp or you know, you try to help them out because then, you know, that way we're kind of an ambassador of what river we're on instead of going, oh, those guys, uh, they're always, you know, racing us around or, you know, causing problems. It's like, no, no, we're here to help if we can. So. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, that's cool. Who, who are some of your, uh, you know, when you think about mentors, people that got, I mean, you mentioned Mark Bachman. I think that's an interesting one because Mark, um, I think maybe he, uh, he he's looked at as kind of a little rough around the edges of some people that maybe don't know him. What's, what's your take on that? And then who are some of your mentors to get you going? Well, sure. I mean, I knew Mark since I was in the fourth grade, so uh, it was just normal for me. What do you think with Mark? Because uh, I, I have an interesting story because I, I, you know, I didn't know Mark that well for years and years. I kind of knew of him, right? But I finally, yeah. when I did the podcast, because we did a podcast with him, and, um, you know, we went out on the river, and he took me out. We had a full day on, on, on the Sandy. And at the end of the trip, I was like, yeah, I was like, Mark, I think uh, it was pretty cool because all these years I didn't really know you, and I think we've kind of created a friendship, <laughs> you know? And so I got to yeah, know him. No. You know I mean? I got to know him a little bit. And, and that whole thing that I thought about him being a little bit rough, it was like, well, you know what? He's, he's a good guy. So what do you think people, what do they get wrong about Mark to start off? Uh, yeah, just a little rough around the edges. But his knowledge of wherever he's at is amazing. I mean, you know, he's he's been on these rivers for a long time, you know, since the 60s. And, and uh, he's very knowledgeable about the, the geology and just the historical facts of the river that sometimes I'm not always good at, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, um, you know, but he, for me, Mark was always great. Uh, you know, like I have a great story. The first time I really tied a bunch of flies for Mark for the shop were, uh, some Brookstones. It was kind of like going to be my job to tie all the Brookstones. And, and at that time there wasn't a lot of, uh, commercial companies tying flies. I mean, Umqua was was there, but it wasn't, you know, you, most shops had their own kind of unique patterns and stuff like that. And so me and his sons would tie a lot of the flies. And so 
I got this order of Brookstones that was, you know, like 250 dozen or something like that. And right. And I'm like, Oh great, here we go. And, and so I tied them and I tied like, I don't know, 15, 20 dozen. And I took them in to kind of get paid a little bit. And Mark and his voice was like, I'm not buying those. You know, those aren't tied right. And I'm like, Oh no, now what do I do? And so I had to shred all those, but he was right. They were kind of too skinny and they were right. And, you know, and he kind of pointed me in the right direction, like, no, you need to do this. And, yeah. you know, to me, Mark, you know, gave me my chance and kind of guiding and, and made me a pretty good fly tire because they had to be a certain way. And I and I saw, you know, yeah. like, okay, they they need to be, you know, steelhead fly needs to be tied this way and a, and a, a stone fly needs to be tied this particular way. And, you know, you got to be picky with it because it's going to have, you know, you're, you're selling it to your customers and mm-hmm. they need to be right. And, and so after that, I was always very particular on how I tied a fly or how a fly should be tied. So cool. I kind of took that to heart and, and I appreciate that he did that, even though I hated him when, yep. Yep. <laughs> when that happens, I had to shred all those. And oh, start man. Over. Man. <laughs> who, who were uh, any other mentors you know, along the way for you? Well, another guy that, um, another gentleman is named Steve Gobin. Uh, he's a, a, a 12 up Indian. He's in Trey Combs book. Oh, cool. Uh, he, he's a very amazing, uh, spade fly tire, you know, like tying spade flies, mm-hmm. full dress Atlantic salmon flies, but he tied just beautiful spade flies. And, and, uh, I, I got to guide him quite a bit for a while there and, and we would trade flies. He liked mine. I liked his and he would tie, like he would show up with a box of flies, like I tied you know, <laughs> and I would always show up with like his kind of style. And, um, I learned a lot from him cause he'd hang out of my house and, we would tie flies, him and his wife, Karen. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's others from books, you know, Dave McNeese, you know, John oh, yeah. Shuey, yep. you know, those, those types of, you know, I, I always looked at those guys as patterns and, yep. um, I, but yeah, after a while you kind of get your own yeah. style, I guess, you know, I mean, you know, anymore, I just, I tie it my way. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, when did, the, when did the Silvernator, when did that come to be? Well, the Silvernator is kind of a transformation from another fly, which was a tandem tube fly. It was a, it was a pattern that were uh, articulated leech pattern instead of tying it with a shank and a braided type uh, line, um, which took a long time to kind of rig up. I tied it with two different tubes and a loop knot. And it's kind of a crazy pattern, but it's a really great fly, and so it's easy to cast, so your clients can cast it. That fly, the Sylvanator came by shrinking that down to fish on the John Day or the Deschutes or the Sandy when it's really low water just to tie a, a leech pattern that's super easy to cast but sinks really well. And then it's a total guide fly where it takes no time to All tie, right. <laughs> where you can crank those out really, really fast. And, and what, what's your favorite color for that fly? And then, uh, and then why does it sink so fast? Yeah, the less material, the better, you know, a lot of times with flies. Um, you think sometimes you put certain materials that, you know, oh, this is going to help, you know, get it down. But a lot of times it it, it, it doesn't. It, it it floats a little more. So it's it's basically rabbit, a, a hackle, and some ostrich on the, on the edges on a tube. And it has a brass bead on it, a pretty good-sized brass bead. So it sinks pretty fast. Um, but... Um, and and it has a lot of action for being how small it is. It's probably about two inches, maybe, you know, two and a half would be the biggest I would tie it. Um, it's just that perfect all around length. Um, but it's like I said, it doesn't have enough materials to absorb enough water. So it's easy to get out of the water and cast. You can cast it on a floating line. Um, it really kind of came to, came around on the John Day for steelhead is where it really kind of was our best fly for a while there, but I, I started using it everywhere. And the best color is probably black and blue is probably my favorite, but my second best would be orange and red. Yep. Yep. And, and I had that, uh, John, uh, John Shrill in, in the Facebook group was asking about, uh, for summers. It, it, so whether you can use it for summers and what's your favorite color for summers? Yeah. Well, the favorite color for summers is that it's a purple and pink one. That's always, you know, purple is always a really good color, but later in the fall, you know, those fall fish, maybe late October, November, seem like black and blue with the water temperature seems to work a little better. Um, I like the purple and pink kind of the early season and black and blue. But I can say that, and you know, somebody will go catch one oh, yeah. on black and blue early yeah. season and get one on a purple and pink late season. 
<laughs> I mentioned this before, but George Cook, I had him on and asked him what, what his fly box looked like. And he said, it's pretty much all lots of, it's all red, you know, it's mostly reds. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that's, like, that's right. pretty, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, not everybody has the same look. At, I mean, what does your box look like if you open up your, your steelhead box or your summer steelhead box? Oh, well, my summer steelhead box is usually a lot of traditional wet flies since I'm on the yeah. shoot, so... And I'm kind of an old school guy. I mean, there's still green bud skunks in there tied on, you know, like a gold hook. I love those, you know, certain times of year. But, you know, I like golden demons and little muddlers and yeah. uh, blue charms. And uh, to me, like, you can't beat those traditional flies. Like, they work. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> You do. can't reinvent the wheel, you know. Where, where some of the things needed to be changed was more winter steelhead flies. Was, you know, that was pretty new. And, and you know, leeches can be... You know, changed yeah. a little bit. It's, you know, like to me, a sylvanator is just, I reinvented an egg sucking leech, basically. All right. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, that's I mean, a great it's fly. not not something I really want to be known for, but it's a great fly, though. I mean, you yeah. know. Yeah, the egg sucker <laughs> You have to works. take it where you get it, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's cool. So, you know, what gets you more fired up, summers or winter steelhead fishing? Mm, that's a tough one. I. To me, winter, because it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it seems like impossible sometimes. And you get, then you finally get one of those chrome beauties. You're just yeah. like, wow, we did it, you know? It's awesome. So you're not burnt out on the, you know, I, I've had a few guests, winter steelhead, well, just steelhead fishermen. They're like, man, I think Shuey was one of them. I think he was like, you know what? I, I don't even, I don't, I'm out bird hunting during, you know, I'm not even fishing. Yeah. I mean, do you, right. I've talked to him a few times and yeah, he's usually bird hunting. <laughs> exactly. Do you feel that uh, the cold, you're still good with the cold, those rainy, wet, kind of half snowy. Oh, I, lo- I love that stuff. That's I mean, cool. it just reminds me of just growing up over, you know, since I live in Maupin, oh, yeah. I mean, I kind of miss, you know, the downpours of welches and some of that stuff sometimes. And now nah, it just feels like, oh, we're going to get them. no No, i'm not burnt out on it at all i mean like to me this is like i was meant to be like a steelhead guide (laughs) like it's my favorite like i love it and i mean after 30 some odd years it's still i'm still kind of hungry for it exactly i still love it well you're in a cool place because you get the in mopping you know you only have to worry about 10 inches of rain a year so you kind of get the dry right you're in the desert right oh yeah no i'll call home a lot of times after a trip of just being drenched you know just talk to the family and like ah has it been raining over there like no not at all i'm like unbelievable (laughs) you know i just spent three days of solid downpour and like oh no it hasn't rained much over here so (laughs) what would you tell somebody if they were you know we're getting close to summer still it's only you know not too far off i mean Somebody's over there. They're they're struggling. Maybe they even haven't caught a, a summer steelhead yet. They're going over there, and they're just what sort of tips? You know, we give them a couple of tips to help them find a fish or maybe hook their first fish. Sure. Well, um, you know, a lot of it, especially the early season, comes down to how hot the weather is and water temperature. I mean, we always some guys are really key on water temperatures. Other guys have no clue, you know, or no idea that it affects things so much. So I would tell people that, you know, if if it's really hot out, especially on the Deschutes, you know, it's going to be that early morning is probably going to be your best shot. And and probably more of the faster water, you know, the faster riffle or bouldery, you know, pretty good current, um, at least where it will swing a fly. um, But you want to head for that, just be like trout fishing. Um, That's why I always correlate the two between trout and and steelhead. are pretty closely related so a lot of your trout are going to be right up in the riffles and that fast water and and uh you want to swing those but you want to be out there at first light and uh i always tell people it's really hard when you haven't caught one um to have confidence in what you're doing and and it, it could be really really hard on your mind on like am i doing this right or what am i doing wrong or you know there's just none here or just you just keep going round and round and round and it just takes it takes time now, especially with the, the fish counts not being what they used to be and, and being a lot more people at times. And you just gotta, you just gotta be the optimist and go, it's going to be the next cast. It's going to be the next cast. I mean, I tell people, I feel like sometimes I'm just the motivational speaker, <laughs> you know, I've just got to keep people motivated. You right. know? Cause sometimes people are like, ah, there's nothing in here. I'm like, come on, there's see that rock down there. There could be one right by that rock. Um, so yeah, you gotta keep people motivated. How do you do that on days where maybe, you know, it is a struggle like this year, maybe the runs, 
you know, well, I guess just think of that, you know, you have a day out there where the fish is just not good and then steelhead fish and they're out there. Right? I mean, how do you, what's your, you know, as a guide, how, how do you make that a, a, a good trip? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always the type to tell people one a day is a good day. I mean, we hook one, we get a grab, that's a great day. And so when you get people in that mode, they're just looking for the one. And then I call it hunting. <laughs> to me, it's hunting. You know, it's not just swinging flies here. We're just hunting. And so, um, we're just hunting along. Sorry, my dog. Oh, a, uh, no problem. Well, what's, what's, uh, what's his name or her name? Uh, that's uh keystone. He's a 14 year old yellow lab. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> he hardly ever barks, but there's somebody outside, I think. Oh yeah. No um, worries. Uh, but, um, it's just hunting to me. And so, um, I'll just, uh, keep covering water. Just, I fish harder when it's less. When there's less fish around, I just fish harder. Yeah, yeah just go for it. <laughs> just cover more water. Cover every kind of water you can cover. Riffles, bouldery, slow water, soft water, everything. And eventually you'll find one. I mean, it just takes more water to fish. There you go. You so, so don't necessarily, if it's maybe a little slow, don't necessarily stay in that one spot and cover that big run. Maybe just keep moving and covering. Yeah, a lot of guys got used to just, you know, parking in a spot and just kind of doing laps in it. Saying, thinking they were going to, you know, keep coming through, and and I don't think that you can't do that with these lower numbers of fish. So you need to cover as much different water, you know, and keep moving. As you know, it's hunting. <laughs> we we go through a run we're like, whoop, not there. Let's go. Exactly. You know, and then you know, there's times you need to take breaks in the middle of the day. You know, if it's too hot or you know, just not. You, you got to take a break. It's supposed to be fun. I mean. I'll hunt pretty hard until a certain point, and then it's like, all right, let's 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 take a break for a little while. Let's enjoy this. Let's, you know, let's yeah. have some fun. You know, just hang out, talk, have lunch. You know, chill out for a little while, and maybe talk about some leaders and flies and that kind of stuff. And and I do a lot of teaching. I I think that's important is to teach mm-hmm. people how to you know how to steelhead fish, how I would do it. And so sometimes when it's slow, that we're doing a lot of that, working on casting and especially spay casting. You know, we're all still learning, I call it. I'm still learning. And now a quick word from our sponsors, gotfishing.com, a boutique booking agency for fishing adventures around the world. Gotfishing is unique in working with a small hand-selected group of outfitters from around the world that are known for providing an experience that is second to none. Gotfishing can be your trusted source of information with access to the world's best fishing trips. Their sole purpose is to help you plan the most authentic fishing venture while making sure it fits within your budget. The beauty is that everything they do is 100% free. You will never pay a dime extra for your trip, and in many cases, less than advertised. I can attest personally to the service that Got Fishing provides as they have been working with me closely to set my first trip to the Yucatan for saltwater. They have taken care of all the important details and allowed me to avoid worrying about any of the complications. I know Brian and the crew have you covered at Got Fishing. Whether you need a fishing consultant, travel consultant, gear pro, or the like, they have you covered. With top-of-the-line outfitters they represent around the world, they are confident they have just the right trip for you. You can give them a call at 208-630-3373 or head over to gotfishing.com to get started today. Let Got Fishing help you plan the fishing trip you've been dreaming about. That's gotfishing.com. I forget that in the center are rivers and fish unspoken for. That there are valleys, the strata of which we lower into perhaps in the hollow between breaths. In the tiny pause between the rise of summer and its departure, I nearly forget the long sieve of winter, the absence, the fractional glimpses of light. Dear one, I will go without speaking. Ablaze, keep me until I disappear. That was a poem by Molly Dam in the summer edition of the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. On top of uh, some great poetry, as you as you hear here, uh, FTJ is jam-packed with another round of great articles in diverse departments. Joseph Rosano uh, is back again, provides another classic steelhead uh, lesson for everyone. We hear from Garrett Lesko in a stacking deer hair frenzy. Find out about striped bass from Angelo Peloso. And here uh, from Dave McNeese on singing the blues and material dying. Lots of additional articles in the summer edition, including an editor's interview with yours truly about how I became a fly fishing podcaster. Craig uh, did a really good job with this one, so I'm I'm pretty uh, proud uh, to be 
in in this edition. I believe I have found the perfect sponsor for the show. I would be uh, it would be really great if you can uh, support FTJ by heading over to ftjangler.com and subscribing so you don't miss any of the tips, tricks and stories in the next issue. That's ftjangler.com to get started today. And uh, tell them, uh, tell Craig and the crew out there you heard about um, the magazine from the podcast, and I'll find a way to uh, put something extra special together for you. Okay, back to the show. What was your transition to uh, to spay like? Because I know you probably were there before with the single-handed rods. What, what was that like for you? Well, at first, I'd, I kind of fought it because some of the first spay rods I saw were like 15, 16 foot, like 10, 11 weights. And yeah. like, who's going to use this for like a six seven pound to shoots fish you know <laughs> i thought this is ridiculous so were guys using it were guys doing the, the well uh john hazel was the first one i really saw out there with like a 15 foot 10 weight sage when they first kind of came out with that rod i started probably like 88 89 with the i think or maybe even 90 with that eight uh 91 40 that sage came out with. it was the first kind of rod that was more of a steelhead rod for us um, and then they came out with the, uh, 7136, which was a little better for the Deschutes, you know, a little smaller rod. And, uh, but yeah, there wasn't lines. Like we had to, at least Skagit lines, you had to make your own, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for, for floating lines, there was a triangle taper. It was a Lee Wolf line that we'd use, but, um, it was a 70 foot taper line. So Jeez. it took a while to kind of get good at, you know, throwing a 70 to yeah. you know, hundred foot line. It, it, Nowadays, everything's dialed down where it's really easy for somebody to just step right into a spay rod and throw a Scandi or a Skagit that matches every rod very well and and just get after it. You know, within a short period of time, they're throwing the head really well or even shooting line really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What what's percentage of people on your trips are using single hand for steelhead versus two handed? Uh, zero. zero. <laughs> not even, not even a percent anymore. Not anymore. I yeah. mean, it used to be there were, you know, I would always let guys use their single hand rods, you know, in the early nineties. And then I'm like, Hey, let's try this spay rod, you know? And it's a lot easier here where we were trying to roll cast and it just opened up more water for guiding. So you, you know, you kind of really wanted to do it cause it just gave you more options then. Cause with the single hand rod, you had to just fish certain types of water, you know, where they had some back casting room and, yeah. you know, the Deschutes doesn't have a lot of those. So, right. um, you know, the spay rod had to come into play. And so when the 6126, um, you know, like a 12 and a half foot six weight came around, that was like the ultimate Deschutes rod and yeah. floating line and, and everything. And so it was, it was in my boat. I had at least two of them all yeah. the time in my boat and, but I would do it after lunch maybe or just go, hey, you know, I know you're struggling, but just roll this thing out. I would just put it in their hand and just try it for a minute. And they're like, wow, this is way easier. Yeah. So. That's cool. What, what, um, what that's line, what came about. What, what line do you use for, for that for that uh, 12 and a half foot six weight? What, what's your, what line do you, I, I think you use scientific anglers, right? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of helping scientific angler with some lines and uh, kind of designing some stuff. So. It's a, it's a grain window. This is where it gets confusing for some people. Is it's it's all grain window or grain sized lines, um, not like a trout rod where a five weight rod throws a five weight line. Those like a five weight line is is grain weighted to match that five weight rod. A spay rod is not quite dialed in like that, um, but they're starting to get better at uh, getting those grain windows smaller for. Um, these spay rods. So a six weight usually would throw like a 390 grain Scandi, um, mm-hmm. maybe a 420 grain on the heaviest. But a 390 is what I would look for for most six weights, um, and uh, that would be most Scandi lines would would have that. Okay, so, so you just go pick up any any Scandi line, scientific angler. What is, what is their line they have that would be good for the? They dishes? have a, a, a Scandi. It's a, just a, it's just called a Scandi line. Um, it's a it's a uh, most of them are like 30, 31 feet um, in length. Um, and the cool thing with the scientific angler, when uh, John Hazel was the one who was really working on that line, and I just kind of helped out because I was just starting with SA. Um, but we kind of tried to design that one where you didn't really need a poly leader because a lot of people don't know what those are either. And so we really tried to make it where it was a line that would work with either a poly or a mono leader. And it works really great with a mono leader too. So that was... 
And we wanted one that like everybody could turn over. Like it would turn over no matter what kind of cast you would throw. As a guide, you want your no matter what. I don't care how far somebody can throw it, but you want the fly to turn over every time. And if it doesn't turn over, it's not going to swing very well. So um, that's what we worked hard on on that line is to make sure it turned over really with almost any casting stroke, and then be simplified where you can just put a 12-foot mono leader and it would cast great. So that's kind of the aspects of that line. What's the difference between a mono leader and a poly leader? A uh, mono leader is just like any uh, type of mono leader, which is a nylon. It's, yeah. um, you know, like you'd use for trout or, right. you know, or tippet or any of that kind of stuff. A poly leader was something that helped a lot with these Scandi lines. Back when the Scandi line was really going um, in Europe, they those guys would use like 22 to 24 foot leaders, a mono leader, um, just to get an anchor. Yeah. And which for most of us, that's a long mono leader not to tangle up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and it just seems ridiculous, but you needed that much to try to get an anchor. So a poly leader is a mono core with kind of a plastic coating on it, and it either comes in a floating or kind of an intermediate or kind of a hover type mm-hmm. line. With you know, and it has that plastic coating, but you can do that in like a 14 foot length or a 10 foot length, and get that same kind of anchor or stick to the water that you do with that 22 foot leader, which yeah. I didn't really care for. Gotcha. <laughs> yep. Okay. So it made that a whole process a lot easier for the Scandi line also. So. Yeah. So, so this summer for your setup for uh, for summer steelhead is going to be, like you said, the 12 and a half foot six weight with uh, that, that Scandi scientific anglers and, and, a, yeah. and a poly leader or something like that on or, or do you? Yeah, go, either yeah. a poly leader if you're used to using those. And with a poly leader, it has a loop at the end. And then you just put like, I put 10 pound tippet on there, um, whatever you like to use. And then, um, you know, three, four feet, and you just tie a fly on. So it's pretty easy um, just to loop the loop and then tie a fly on. Um, with a mono leader, you know, a lot of times you might buy, like, a 12-foot tapered leader, and sometimes I'll add, like, you know, 10 pound of a few feet, so that way if you get any wind knots down there, you can just change that out. Um, but you could just tie it right to the tapered leader and, and go fish also. Yeah, there you go. And, and what about dry flies for steelhead? Do you do any of that out there? Uh, I used to do a lot of that, um, especially when the October caddis start bouncing around. I mean, um, I caught quite a few steelhead when I was growing up, when I was talking about the Berkeley rod and stuff, uh, swinging like October caddis. I can remember I caught one actually on a dead drifted dry fly on the Salmon River. Cause yeah. I didn't really understand how that whole skating thing works. So I was just throwing it like a dry fly and actually landed the steelhead on a October cat, more like a sofa pillow. Oh, right. So, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I used to fish a lot of like a skater and a wet fly. Back in the day, we'd always fish two flies. But uh-huh. um, with the pressure nowadays and the kind of lack of fish, sometimes the conditions are not as <laughs> as easy to catch them on skaters. There's times you can do it. I don't do it as much. Yeah. Um, it's really fun. And if you really want to learn a spot, like a run that you fish a lot, You'll learn so much by fishing a skater when it comes across where it'll hesitate or where it kind of does some weird movement. That's what your wet fly is doing, too. And um, hmm. you learn a lot about a run on fishing a skater. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really interesting to watch it. Exactly. So, cool. If you had two go-to flies, is it the Silvernator? Is that always one of your go-tos? For summer sealing? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the middle of the day, you know, it's a lot of times I'm doing day trips and, and guys have one day to, you know, fish through the chute. So we'll fish sink tips, not real heavy, not like we're fishing T14 and dredging or anything. We're fishing medium weight sink tips, but that Sylvanator is a great one to fish uh, in those same conditions because it'll sink pretty good, but you can use a light sink tip and not get hung up too much. So, yeah, Sylvanator is a good one for the low uh the, when the sun's on the water and then the low light conditions i mean one of my favorites is probably a number six little natural muddler <laughs> i mean uh that's one of my favorite flies but i there's others you know there's uh you know a golden demon I, I like i said i like a lot of those old school patterns and um 
or a Max Canyon. Yep, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Ma- I've the- caught lots of fish on a Max Canyon. Yep, yep. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, throw throwback to to my pops. Yeah, the the old yeah. uh, orange and black. Yep. We've talked about this a little bit, just fishing in the daytime. That's always been a kind of a funny uh, topic because I think you know some people think about it as kick back and take a break but you're fishing in the daytime with your with your clients how, how do you can you break us down like what you're using the, the sink tip line and then uh you know exactly how you find fish are you and are you hitting only certain spots depending on the sun right yeah the sun angles on the shoots um since it pretty much flows north are are really important because especially in a canyon where it makes big turns you know and sometimes it's in their eyes which now I can say this, and I've seen it happen where people catch them on a floating line. The sun's in their eyes. It's you shouldn't be fishing it, but and they're like, "Oh, I got one." And you're like, oh, "Unbelievable!" <laughs> you shouldn't have caught one there. But it, it, I always tell people this too: is it, we made up all the rules, and the steelhead never read the rule book. So <laughs> I can tell you this stuff, and and all the rules will be broken. That's but right. I look for sun angles. I want it behind them or off to the side. I don't really like it in their eyes. So I will skip a spot because I just lose total confidence <laughs> in a place where it's in their eyes, even if it's a sink tip. Uh, sink tips, I'll fish in them, you know, once the sun really gets out. And that's like the afternoon. I'll still fish floaters because a lot of times I can find angles of the sun I still like with a floating line. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be till, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. And then finally we might change over to sink tips. Um, but it's usually, like I said, a light tip, um, a flow tip, a mo tip, you know, those lighter tips that are only like seven and a half sink. Um, some guys will use some heavier stuff if they're, if they know the spot that, that it won't get hung up as much. If you're not knowledgeable about the run you're fishing, I would recommend not going too heavy Mm. as you become more familiar with it. Then you might be able to use T11, but nothing. It's not like I'm trying to get down like in the winter or slow the fly down. I'm just trying to put it down so they don't have to look up. Yep. That's my thinking of it. Yeah. Um, but it's always up to the client. Some guys will don't want to fish, you know, sink tips that much. They just want to fish floaters. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll try to fish tips till at least maybe one, two o'clock, and then take a break, and then then maybe hit it hard in the evening again. Yep, yep, gotcha. So that's the main, the main thing is just finding that angle so the sun's not there, and if you can do that. And are you guys doing mostly drift boat trips uh, on your day trips? Yeah, yeah, I'm using all drift boat. Yeah, so you're um, just floating. You're, you're just putting it. Are you doing kind of the the middle section? Or are you doing the lower river too? Uh, I do the lower. I so I do a lot of day trips from like Pine Tree to Max, yeah. and then all of September and first half of October is just back to back camp trips. Oh yeah, you do. Yeah, you got all the camp and stuff. So right, just, I'm just doing. I'm doing laps. I call it. But yeah. I just put in, do the three, four day, go yeah. to the Dalles, reshop, put back in. Are you? Are you doing? Uh, is that you? Are you doing the trips like kind of the everything, or do you have somebody doing like a gear boat and all that stuff? Oh, I have a gear boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like I've, I've gotten. I, yeah. It's either I, you got smarter, or, you know, lazier. I, I feel like I've gotten smarter. I don't want to do all that. No. No, I know. Is there anybody out there still doing? Do you see much of that that are doing, you know, kind of a one one self guided yeah. kind of trips? Yeah. Not well. Yeah, there's a few where you do the kind of, you know, safari trip, just fishing hard, throw a cot down, you know, and a run. And yeah, no, I mean that still can be fun, you know, but uh, it's it's busy enough that that can be hard. You can you can end up in places like, well, I think I can put a cot here. <laughs> So I, I like to have the the luxury of camp, and that's nice to show up to that and have it all done and and uh, have everything ready for clients who are like, wow, look at this. This is great, you know? Yeah. So and look, we have a nice run right here to fish. I'm exactly. like, yeah, this is, this is why we have our, our gear guy. <laughs> he's, he's doing all the hard work. That's <laughs> so. right. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, any other resources, you know, if somebody wanted to learn, if they weren't going out with you and they wanted to just, again, that person that's kind of trying to find that first steelhead, where would you direct them? Any, any like books, magazines, online resources? Well, um, Deck Hogan's book is really good, The Passion of Steelhead. He yep. talks a lot about different angles and how fish come after the fly. I mean, that's a, that's a great resource. You know, my resource was always Trey Combs's books. I had his first book. You know, that's how I really got good at tying flies. I tied all the flies that he had in that. It was the first book I saw that had all the color plates, you know, of colors. Because before that, it was always pen and ink, you know, (laughs) drawings almost. So, um, 
But Trey Combs' second book is, is a great book. on, yeah. And it gives history of rivers and stuff, but it talks different rivers and different techniques. Um, there's always YouTube, too. I mean, there's there's some actually great videos and mm-hmm. a lot of killer fly tying videos now. There's a lot of great tires out there that people never even heard of that I even run into. I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. And even Instagram, I mean, which sounds funny, but... Yep. There's guys that do videos on that all the time that are fantastic spay tires and steelhead fly tires. Yep. So um, it's really cool to see all that. Yeah, it, is, it has been kind of it, but it is kind of it, cool to, to be able to connect around the world, right? I mean, it literally is easy. You can see all everywhere, Atlantic salmon, whatever you want, right? Right, right. Well, it was during the whole lockdown. I got kind of hooked into watching all those when, yeah. you know, you weren't supposed to go anywhere. I was just working around my ranch here and then uh, tying some flies in the evening or watching some of these guys tie. I'm like, man, these guys are good. Yeah. So. yeah. How did the, yeah, we're in the, this still on the COVID thing. How did, uh, I mean, we're still in it, but it's been let, let down a little bit. How, how has that been for, I mean, did you guys, did, were you like shut down completely? How did all that work? Oh yeah. We were shut down pretty much for guiding for almost two and a half, three months. Two and a half, three months. Right. No guiding. Yep. No guiding. It was kind of hard. I missed the whole spring steelhead and then kind of, early salmon fly to shoot trout, you know, missed a lot of stuff, <laughs> but you know, you got to do what you got to do and to kind of be safe for your family and, and keep others safe. I guess it's, it's lightened up now and, and, you know, and people are wanting to get out. Um, so it's, it's still a little weird, but it, you know, everybody's trying to do their social distancing and, and be protective of each other. Um, you know, we're doing our best to keep working as guides, you know, um, but it's still weird. <laughs> it is. Are you wearing a mask? You got to wear a mask out there, right? Yeah, well, I, I've been doing it in, in the boats, you know. I mean, we were trying to keep it separate, you know. Like, when you're out fishing, it seems kind of silly because I can keep away from people. I mean, I, I've been wearing a buff like I do. Um, some people, we were wearing masks, um, you know, and, and having people drive down to boat ramps and, and trying to do the right thing or do what we've been told is what we should do. Um, but it's, it, it's still weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's kind of up to the people. I've been leaving it up to them. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to do it. on what, how they feel about it and what they want to do. Sure. Um, because that's true. you want to want them to feel safe and, and have fun. And so that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's, before we get out of here, let's jump into just quickly into some, uh, winter steelhead a little bit. And, and it sounds like the, you know, you, you, you've been on the Sandy for a long time. Any, any, uh, any quick, uh, tips for winter steelhead? I mean, it's definitely a different game. And I had actually Marty, when he talked a little bit about winter fishing over there. Um, but what do you tell somebody, you know, or what, when you're out there, you're taking a newbie out for a winter steelhead trip. Um, you know, what's the expectations and, and how, how does that day look? Well, the expectations are if we get one a day, it's a good day, <laughs> like anything. But it's always funny when you take a beginner. Uh, sometimes your expectations are really low. You're just like, hey, we're just going to pull into a spot, just learn how to do this a little bit, kind of get the rhythm of things. You're not even looking to swing. You're just saying, let's just cast for a little while, just kind of get get the hang of this before we get too carried away. The main thing is just keeping it simple for somebody new, like, the head out maybe you know just find an easy spot just like i said the cast but inevitably they always will hook one it's so hmm. funny i had i had some beginners this year one guy hooked three fish wow. and never even i told him he might as well quit now like because <laughs> it was unbelievable but it the winter steelhead it's all about conditions similar to summer um but it's all about water levels and so you want to hit those fresh kind of rises after it's risen pretty high maybe and it's dropping down it's it comes back to water temperature again the water's warmer the sandy average is about 39 degrees most of the time and so when the water's up from some rains you're getting maybe that 42 maybe even 43 degree water where those winter fish are going to be a lot more active to a fly um and so then and then it's kind of hitting the right kind of water it's back to hunting again but um with the beginner like i said i'll just keep it simple and then just put them in water where they don't have to throw it very far and then work on trying to slow the fly down. That's what I think is important with winter fish. It's not always deeper. It just needs to be slower sometimes because the water is so much colder that um, they're not as active. So we're, 
sometimes we're not fishing the same waters you'd fish for summer steelhead. Um, it's some of that slower, maybe tail out or middle of the run, kind of real methodical, slow water where it's kind of even pace all the way through. Yeah. How, um, how do you slow? So other than finding the right water, how else do you slow that fly down? Well, you know, mending or casting angles are always important, um, kind of with any steelheading, summer or winter. Yeah. Um, but the angle sometimes is a little more across um, just to give the fly time to get a little deeper and help it slow it down. So sometimes I'm mending a lot more, and I'll throw one big mend, and then it's a lot of, like, I call it ruddering, you know, just kind of ruddering the fly, just lifting that end right off the rod tip, just kind of keeping that going a little bit slower as it starts coming across, um, like it depends on the water, but I, I do a lot of ruddering. And then there's lines. There's some of these 3D lines or like a line that I helped out with, which was called a fist, which mm-hmm. is a floating intermediate with a built-in sink tip. Mm-hmm. So it kind of slows the fly down, getting below that surface kind of tension or surface, you know, currents that are going all over the place. You can break that surface, then it'll go a lot slower all by itself without a lot of, mending or a lot of hassle so um that lines become kind of important for winter steelheading but um you know it's just getting that fly slower like i said i tried one year i tried to use a big a 10 weight 15 foot 10 weight and i fished <laughs> sink tips up to like 500 grains i had like teeny lines that i yep. made for a skadget head basically and i was just dredging because i was watching all these guys fishing gear catching all these fish and i really didn't catch any more fish fishing all that heavy, heavy, heavy sim tips and heavy flies. I caught some, but it was more of a hassle. And I thought, man, I think I'm missing some of these fish in the higher flows that are in close. When the water's up, they're cruising along the edges. They're not out in that heavy current. They're on those inside seams and those little little depressions or maybe those rocks. So I'm actually fishing, I think, lighter sometimes now than I ever did and swinging in closer, at least the first time through. And I'll do that a lot where I'll fish a run real light kind of first time through. And then if we got time, I'll come back through with something totally different, you know, a little bit heavier fly, a little heavier sink tip, and then try to, you know, maybe slow it down or get it down a little more out, out a little farther after we went through. But mm-hmm. sometimes that first time through with that light stuff, that's when we hook them, yep. especially in that off-colored water, you know, a little more glacial colored and, and kind of higher flows. That's that's the prime stuff. So we're constantly as guides looking at water flows. I hardly ever do in the summer, yeah. but in the winter, you're just like on your phone looking right. at those flows. Like, Oh, it's cresting. Oh, tomorrow, yeah. maybe the next day might be it. <laughs> right. Is that how you do it? How do you do it with clients when people, I mean, probably some are setting up trips in advance or are you kind of guiding it based on flows? Well, um, you know, we, we set up, some people need to schedule trips. Um, you know, in, in advance, just the way their schedules are. And then I'll kind of have a hot sheet, I call it, where guys might have a little oh, more yeah. leeway to get away. And, and I'll yep. call, you know, just kind of hit the list if I have openings and, and tell them, like, hey, it's it could be good in the next day or two. And then they go, yeah, I can make it. And I'm like, all right, let's get it down. But I'm really picky in the winter. Uh, I've done this long enough that you can really burn somebody out on winter steelheading if you go on the yeah. wrong day. Yeah. And so I'm I'm – Depending on the, the person that books the trip, I will tell them that we will try to hit the best conditions we can. And I might cancel on them twice. <laughs> yeah. And it's on me. I'm like, nope, you don't want to go on this. Yeah. It's 35 degrees. It's raining. That's not when you want to start your winter steelhead experience. No. No. <laughs> That's going to be miserable. <laughs> Even if the water's perfect, like, yeah. you, know, you do not want to go on this. No. So, and then there's other guys that just thrive on that stuff, you know? So it's, it's kind of a tough call, you know. Sometimes I should have went, maybe, and I didn't. But I don't want to. I don't want to make. I want to make it fun, you know. I want to make it that they want to go do that. So um, yeah. I'm kind of probably one of the pickiest, probably on some occasions on gotcha. winter steelheading. But that's cool. You kind of have to be. Yeah. So how, so how long? So you take take us back. You mentioned I think you were a teenager when you were guiding from, from that first trip till now. How, how how long have you been guiding? Uh, I think it's like 35 years, 35. Yeah. So w- what is your plan? Or do you, do you have a plan on, are you, it sounds <laughs> like you just love guiding. You're going to, I mean, cause I, I hear different stories about people that, you know, kind of, they love, I mean, God, there's a Davey Watton who's back in the kind of the white in Arkansas and he, 
I mean, he's an older guy, you know, definitely an older guy. And he, I mean, he still guides like, I don't know, 250, 300 days a year or something like that. And he's, it's, so it's amazing. Some of these people have the ability, but some don't, right? I mean, what's your take on all that? Right. Some people get burnout. Some people don't realize that guiding is not fishing. Like I don't fish a lot, you know, right. I mean, I still get out on my own, but I kind of knew guiding was giving up my fishing mm-hmm. to, to teach other people the something you already loved, you know, something you already thought was the greatest thing ever. Like it was easy for me. Like, man, I want to get more people involved in this. Like, this is a great sport. And, yeah. and, uh, I think a lot more people should be out here doing this. And so that's the way I think of it. And yeah, after all this time, I would never thought I could make a career because in the beginning it was just like, ah, you did it in the summer. Then you had to have some kind of job. I mean, I would be going to college or whatever. Yeah. And, or working at, I worked at Larry's Sports Center. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a, here's another Larry's guy that worked at Larry's oh, yeah. Sports Center for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, basically fished every day and then we work at Larry's. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's surprising how, you know, I'm, I'm always surprised. It's, it's hard work. I mean, it, you can make a living at it, but it's not easy. Like a lot of, you know, self-employed people, there's moments where you're like, man, I should be on the river and, and you're not. And then there's other times you're like, wow, I'm really busy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, th- some people get burnout on it. I think it's because they just don't get to fish enough and, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, they kind of lost their fishing and just get burnt out on, on people that, you know, can't cast and can't do what they wanted to do. And to me, it just motivates me to get them, you know, get them going without like yelling at them, you know, like mm-hmm. I hear all sorts of horror stories, what no I think kidding. are horror stories of guides like, no, you're doing it wrong. Oh, wow. Give me that rod, you know, kind Jeez. of a thing like, whoa, like I would never do that. It's like, no, here's how you do it. And like, like try to make it fun. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's crazy. You know, like if, even if you're not catching them, like, here, check this out, cast this way. So, um. But no, it's not for everybody. I, I definitely agree. It's, yeah. not, it's definitely not for everybody. And uh, I don't know how much longer I'll do it, but I'm going to keep doing it as long as I possibly can. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. And would you have a, uh, a tip for a new guide? What, what would you tell somebody that's wanting to get into it or is just starting? A new guide. Well, it, it's always tough. I mean, if, if they have no home river that they really want to work on, you know, there is guide schools that can kind yeah. of help them point them in the right direction, which at one time I thought were kind of funny, yeah. you know, to have a guide school, but that gets their foot in the door or, or working at a fly shop. I mean, that's yeah. another way to get a foot in the door. That's how I kind of got into it. It was mm-hmm. kind of hanging out in a fly shop, being a, you know, fly shop rat, basically just hanging out, being, you know, casting in the back parking lot, you know, that kind of stuff and, and, and starting to meet the reps and other people. And, um, but Really, I, I tell, I get emails off and on about guys that want to be a guide. I'm like, well, where do you live? Well, I live here. I'm like, well, what's your favorite river? You know, and like, oh, I fish this river. I'm like, well, do you fish it all the time? And like, well, yeah, like I would fish that as where you know every inch of it. Yeah. You know, like fish everything you'd want to know about it. And then try to work with a fly shop or, or maybe even start your own business. Um, it's definitely hard. I mean, I... I probably wouldn't want to go through it again myself because there was times I, you know, yeah. I would take anybody for anything sure. <laughs> just because I had my guide license and I was like, man, I got nothing, you know, other than the trickle down what I could get from somewhere. So it's definitely not easy, but I think most guides anymore would have to work either for an outfitter or a fly shop or do the guide school where they can set you up on mm-hmm. a, maybe go guide in Alaska for a few years where you can build some clientele or meet some people and, and work from there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's definitely not easy to start. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show. I interviewed uh, the person running the, the Sweetwater uh, Guide School out there in Montana a while back. So yeah. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And um, Yeah, no, that would be a great resource right there. Those guys do a really good job from what I can see. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, they mentioned that I think, I can't remember exactly, but I mean, they pretty much guarantee a, a job. I mean, it's, if you want to yeah, do it, I no. mean, it, it's literally almost a hundred percent, you know, they'll, they'll find you something. So it's right. They have that. Yeah. They, they fill up a lot of the lodges and a lot of places in Alaska with, with those guys that just came out of there. Um, and which is perfect for some of those rivers where, um, you don't have a lot of people and, um, sometimes not the pressure and not, 
the amount of guides you can have in some of our rivers sometimes. Exactly. So. <laughs> hey, do you have a uh, do you have a, a bucket? I'm not sure how much uh, destination type fishing you do, but do you have a like a bucket list spot you want to hit? Or oh spot? man, I got you know everybody's got a bucket list. You yeah, know? I I did do one. You know, I went to Christmas Island about four uh, years oh, ago. Cool. That was kind of one of my. You know, everybody uh-huh. talks about Christmas Island, and um, that was really I hosted the trip. That was really fun to yep. to do something like that. Um, any salt water, I mean, yeah. like that. That just like I love that kind of stuff because being a winter steelhead, yep. you know, kind of guy, or living out in Oregon, you go somewhere tropical. That's, that's perfect. It's pretty neat, and it seems like those fish eat anything you throw at them most of the time. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> From what I can see, what I experienced. So that yeah. was, you know, you still have some tough situations, but that would be pretty fun. But um, my other one is golden. Uh, uh, Dorado. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to do that yep. somewhere because those seem like really fun exactly. visual kind of eating, you know, chasing things and stuff like that. But but I would go to a steelhead river in BC and I haven't fished maybe even too. I like there's so many options it's hard to hard to choose. Uh we had a trip to schedule to go to the Skeena with some guys, me and Marty and uh the whole covid thing oh no kidding shot that down yep. <laughs> we were gonna go the uh the the end of april first of march to fish the skeena yep we tried a few years ago to do that and uh it was blown out so we were hoping to do it a little um earlier and uh it didn't yeah didn't work out so i'm gonna let you get out of here any uh in the next uh kind of six months six to twelve months anything new coming up for you or you know your business thing you want to give a shout out to Ah, well, just um, big work in trout fishing. Still have some openings for for some summer trout fishing, and then um, going to early steelheading. So um, that's what I'll be working on. Are the summer trout? Are you pretty much just hitting the deschutes, doing? Uh, yeah, out? yeah, just doing the deschutes, kind of looking yeah. for the caddis, you know. Yeah. Dry fly fishing stuff. What's your What's your go to? It's probably not easy, but if you had to say a, a dry fly, or what, what do you fish mostly, or what's your most common <laughs> for trout? Uh, elk hair caddis. Yeah, okay, I know. <laughs> Tan bodied elk hair caddis, size 14, 16, maybe an 18. That's like the go to for me forever. You can't beat that. That's the great, one of the greatest dry flies. I have some of my own, but, but, uh, that's still one of the greatest dry flies. And then one of my caddis pupas, it's a beadhead caddis pupa, is one of my other favorites for, you know, sunk copper dropper style is what All I right. fish a lot too. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's uh, sylviesflyfishing.com if they want to track you down or, get, or book a trip with you. Yeah, yeah. You can get me on my website or even Instagram, just Brian Sylvie or Sylvie's Fly Fishing. You can find me on there too. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll put links to all that in the show notes and uh, put that out there. So, yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on and then sharing some tips here. We've, uh, you know, there's uh, <laughs> the John Day. I never get tired. It's funny. Obviously, it's my home river, you know, the Deschutes and stuff. <laughs> I never get tired of talking about it. You know what I mean? It's It's kind of like you know, the stories and connecting you now to, you know, Bachman and, and that whole thing, right? You're part of that. It's so right. I, I appreciate you sharing everything today and, and coming on and, and talking a little fishing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks right. for having me. All right. We'll talk to you. Talk to you later. Okay. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash one four eight. Could you share this episode with uh, one other person who would love the show? I would uh, it would be great if you could uh, reach out and uh, let somebody know. I'm, I'm definitely shooting for the 50-50 uh, eventually along with Orvis. So it would be great if you know a person in the female variety. That would even be better. And finally, uh, go over to OutdoorsOnline.co. Uh, head over there right now and click play. That's Outdoors with an S. And help the uh, journey I'm on there in the uh, parallel kind of the parallel universe i guess you could call it uh, i've got i guess some good stuff going so i'd appreciate it if you had a chance to uh, stop on by and if it looks like something interesting maybe you could uh, share it out there with the world thanks again for stopping by today to check out the show i'm looking forward to uh catching up with you soon and maybe seeing you on the river or online thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.